We're going to open now to James 2. Um, so if you want to grab an analog Bible, that'd be epic. Um, but if you've got it on your phone as well, open it there. Um, and we're going to start at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. chose the wrong approach. Hello everybody, uh, it is fantastic to see you all. My name is Ethan. Uh, hello to everybody online. Um, I saw, uh, saw Ray, Nikki and Chloe. Hi. If there's anyone else that w has shown up since I checked. Hi. Um, it is fantastic uh, to be here. Thank you all for coming. Um, I'm just going to read verse 14 again real quick. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Does that intro rock? I wrote several, uh, but none hit anywhere near as hard as the one he did himself. Uh, I've said to a few people this week uh, that these verses might be some of my favorite uh, in the whole Bible. Uh, this was uh, the very first talk I ever did uh, as a little Ethan in year eight. Uh, I was given an opportunity to give a talk and I was asked to do this. And I hadn't read any of James before. And the week leading up to this talk, I read the whole book and I read this passage and it probably shaped the rest of my life. It is so powerful and so amazing and holds such a special place in my heart. Uh, that even Greaves helpfully mentioned uh, that I'm a little tired, I've been on a camp all week, uh, and there was an offer to not do this sermon, uh, and I turned that down because I am very excited to do this because I love this passage so very much. Um, so with that out of the way, uh, I'm going to pray uh, as we look at this incredible piece of scripture that is both powerful and clear and relevant to our lives. Um, we're going to think about that question tonight. If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith 
save them. Heavenly Father, speak through me tonight, please. As we go through your word, uh, so clearly presented by James, may your words tonight be clear and helpful. And may we all have open hearts to take what James has to say into our lives. Amen. I'm just going to keep going through this passage. If you have your Bible open, uh, I would encourage you to hold it open uh, at James chapter 2, uh, verses 14 to 25. I'm just going to go through it. it James has set up his own structure, uh, and it is fantastic uh, to run with. So we're going we're gonna to jump right in uh, to verse 15, which, which says this, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Well, there's your answer to the opening question. If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, their faith cannot save them. Their faith indeed is dead. Pretty intense for a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, a little. It is a confronting truth. And we are tempted as we read this to stand up in our chairs and say, James, hold on a minute. I've read my Bible. I know the stories. I've read uh, some of the Gospels. Uh, I've, I, I know John 3.16 very clearly states that whoever believes in God has eternal life. Paul alone in his letters spends so much time talking about how the law doesn't save us, that our deeds don't save us, that instead our faith does. We are saved by grace. Uh, some actually reckon that this book of James was a sermon before it became a letter. And so you can imagine people in James's church 2,000 years ago getting up and saying those exact same things. They would respond in a similar way. And if that's our response tonight, if that is your response as you read this, good. That means we know the gospel. A Christian is saved by our faith in Jesus believing that he was God and he came to earth, died and three days later rose again and he did that to save us. To save us from our rebellion against God, what we call sin. And all we need to do is accept that gift, that gift of grace and repent. Repent just means to say sorry to God for what we have done and he says you're in. Welcome. We know as Christians that if we respond to that truth, he has prepared a place for us in heaven. We know that he has adopted us as his children. That is the Christian belief. We can't save us. We can never be good enough to earn heaven. Now, if you haven't heard that truth before tonight, if you're just checking out church in the new year or you're just here for a good feed after, that's what we're all about here at Soul Revival. 
We're all about the salvation that, from sin and death that comes from Jesus and only Jesus. And so questioning James's conclusion that faith without deeds is dead is a fair response. But it is only fair if we don't first check who he is talking to and read around this one verse or this one section on its own. Because time and time again, James assumes that we actually and his readers and his hearers already know the gospel. He is assuming that he is talking to Christians in his time, Jewish Christians. Even saying in verse 14, he said, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? He's not just saying, hey, bro, like I would, because I would say that to anyone. He's talking to people adopted into the family of Christ. And what he is saying is this. If you want to write anything down tonight, this is a cool thing to write down. To believe in God in the biblical sense involves a commitment to action. To believe in God in the biblical sense involves a commitment to action. We can read this in the words of Jesus who says uh, during his famous Sermon on the Mount, if you have your Bibles and you want to flick through back to Matthew chapter 7, found in verse 21 to 27, Matthew 7 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Verse 23 says this, Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This too is the gospel. That after we profess a faith in Jesus, we commit to following him and doing the will of the Father as Jesus demonstrated for us. And the most fantastic example of that is his death on the cross. His submission to the will of the Father. I could spend the next 15 minutes or so discussing the beautiful theological realities that are found in this section. Uh, well, I was reading a book this week uh, by John Dixon, and he said this. He said, James would be horrified if we got to the end of this chapter and we were thinking only about the theology, the doctrine of faith and works because it's not the main point here. It's intended to move us to perform the deeds he's talking about, not just think about them. Because if we just think about the deeds, then actually we look like James's first example. Let's keep reading, shall we? Back to James chapter 2. We're going to look at this first person, and we're going to call this person the armchair philanthropist. Now, if you look at verse 15 and 16, the armchair philanthropist is someone who sits back in the comfort, in the comfort and safety 
of a good luck to you. The comfort and safety of a take care of yourself, mate. When they could instead actually help. What does it say in verse um, in those verses that I read earlier? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Um, I've turned this microphone on, uh, and I have a question for the kids that are here. Um, kids, have you ever had someone at school or, or in wherever you go to things, have you ever had someone help you with your work? Or has anyone let you have some lunch uh, or, some, or some money, or shared their recess with you, or let you borrow a hat or something, or a pen? Is there anyone that's had an experience like that? Yes? No? Banjo? Yes? All right. Banjo, can you come here a second? A round of applause for Banjo. Banjo, can you tell me of an example of a time that something like that happened to you? Um, people have done stuff to me, like, um, Actually, I've done stuff to them. They've, uh, I've given them some of my recess because they um, like want some of my recess. That's the perfect example. Thank you, Banjo. Um, Banjo, how, did you, how do you think that made... How did, actually, how did you helping them, how did that make you feel? Um, I felt good about myself. That's really good. I'm so glad. Round of applause for Banjo. Thanks, man. How good. Um, yeah, thinking good, of, thinking good about yourself is a really great way of doing it. But that isn't actually why God's asked us to do this, why James is encouraging us to do this. It's not just to feel good about yourself. It is for the other person. Earlier in James 2, he echoes Jesus as he says, if you, like, for me, it's just further up on the page, uh, on your phone, you might have to swipe back to the previous chapter. In verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. That's what we're called to do. Love our neighbor as ourselves. But it's so easy to be the armchair philanthropist. It's so easy to forget that part of being a Christian, the one that is loving and helping people. I know we're living in a cost of living crisis, uh, but that affects everyone, not just you and me. Sometimes we've got to share our lunch. Sometimes someone needs our recess, or our hat, or our wealth. But it's pretty easy just to sit back and say, good luck to you, instead. That little example uh, is about money, but that's a really, just a really tangible example. And that's why I use that one. But James here is concerned generally, about looking after the vulnerable. We might not have someone who is ill-clad or unfed, but we may know people who are lonely and might need a visit. People who are overwhelmed and need an act of service, or people who are struggling and just need a phone call. 
someone to chat to. The example in James is specific, but the message is look after those you can look after. Love your, love your neighbor as yourself because of your faith in Jesus. Because to believe in God in the biblical sense involves a commitment to action. James doesn't stop here. Uh, He really, really wants to make sure we get it. And so he throws in a new viewpoint in verse 18. It says this, uh, But some will say, you have faith and I have deeds. That's his little, we'll jump to the next bit. It's a new voice saying, hey, you can have them separately, right? Like, we're just, we're just two different kinds of Christians. Like, you're one who's got all the deeds, and that's really great, but I've got some really good faith. Like, my faith's great. Uh, and I don't need those deeds and actions because I know all about God. And I believe in Him. Tick. But James replies to that logic with one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible. He says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Oh, I've got chills. I love that verse. He's saying, yeah, you have an intellectual faith in Jesus. Well done. So do the demons. They know that God exists. They know there's only one. And they're afraid. They live in rebellion against God, unsaved and unashamed, but knowing there is one God, and he has already won. He's defeated them in Jesus' death and resurrection. And James is saying that sometimes our own lives look more like that living in rebellion against God, knowing he's there and not really caring. Get my microphone out again. Kids and maybe teenagers, you might need to be of help in this question. It's a pretty hard question. It's a big question. You ready? No? There's, there's, there's head shakes. Fair enough. If you're not ready, that's okay. My question is this, if you told someone at school that you were a Christian, would they be surprised? I've got a few head shakes, I've got a few I don't knows, I've got a few I don't knows. Um, Who gave me a head shake? Vinny, you gave me a head shake, come on up. It's easy to go to the front, I can't fully see everyone else's reactions. Um, Vinny, why, if you told someone at school that you were a Christian, would they not be surprised? As I go to lunch and I am, I advertise that I'm a Christian. If mm-hmm. anyone asks questions, I reply to them in such. Very cool. Thank you very much. Round of applause for Vinny. Okay. Fantastic. Very helpful, Vinny. Uh, Chip lunch is um, one of the is the group at Kiriwi High. Um, well, it's not called that technically at the moment, but that is what it has been called. Um, it is. It's all, yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to shift it. If you want to talk to me about that, you can talk to me about that after. Um, it is the ICF group at Kiriwi High, and it is an opportunity for teenagers to say, I'm a Christian, 
because I'm sitting in this group once a week. It's a very public, very confident decision that these guys make to do that every week. It's hardcore. It's really cool. As well as that, Vinny said that when people talk to him about it, he responds. People ask him why he's a Christian. He answers questions. This, though, is not just an intellectual thing. This is a way of living. We can show the faith that we have by the way we live and the way we act. Whether that be going to the lunchtime group or it be our good works like loving others or our intolerance of our own sin. Our attempts to avoid our own discontentment, unthankfulness, selfishness, lack of self-control, something as little as irritability or anger or envy, our attempt to avoid worldliness. Sometimes it is the act of doing those things that shows our faith. And it is the act of doing those things that refines our faith as we work on our own godliness aided by the Holy Spirit. And the demons don't do that. They're too busy looking at the one God of the universe and shuddering. Because they can't have a saving faith. They can have that rational knowledge, but nothing more. Jesus died for us, for you and me. And we can accept that gift. We've been given because we have that gift. And with that gift we get an opportunity to live out a biblical faith, a faith that involves a commitment to action. As we read through this section, finally, James brings it home. If, you ha- if we don't get it yet, then he's going to make sure we understand. Verse 20, he says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Are you this far along and you still don't get it? It's a punch in the gut, but he does provide a final piece of evidence in two parts. Two stories from the history of the people he's writing to. They would have known these stories intimately, and they would have both been a confirmation of the truth of James's statements and an encouragement to look back at the people behind them and see their faith and their deeds and be encouraged. Firstly, he starts with Abraham in verse 21. Um, Kids, I have made a mistake. I've left my little booklet over there. Can I borrow someone else's little booklet? Thank you very much. Now, see, I've done better than Lucy because I coloured mine in. Um, But in these little booklets... (laughs) Sorry, she said, for those who didn't hear that, she said, I've been paying attention, which is very good. Five stars. Um, A plus. The story in these little kids' books that they all have is the first part of the story 
uh, of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Uh, It says, there once was a righteous man named Abraham. Abraham was married to a woman named Sarah. God told Abraham to pack up everything he and Sarah owned and move to an unknown place. Abraham and Sarah obeyed God and started their journey. It's cute, they're walking along. Again, my field was like green and there was water. And Anyway, um, after, Abraham, uh, after Abraham and Sarah moved, they grew sad because they didn't have any children. God promised Abraham his family would someday outnumber the stars in the sky. And then one day, three men visited Abraham and Sarah, and they talked about how Sarah would one day have a baby. Sarah laughed at this because she was very old. But God kept his promise to Abraham. Sarah gave birth to a baby, boy, and they named him Isaac. That's the first part of the story, and it is a beautiful one. But what happens next, after Abraham and Sarah not having a child, is that God says to Abraham, take your son, and climb this mountain and sacrifice him to me. You can find this story in Genesis 22. It's a pretty hardcore part of the Old Testament. But this is the bit that James references. He says, um, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? God said, go do it. And Abraham did it. At the last minute, God said, stop, and a um, goat came out, and they sacrificed that instead, which was a miracle, but he was prepared to do it. In Genesis 22, we see something really interesting that I want to quickly jump into. Uh, Before Abraham goes up to the top of the mountain, he turns to his servants on their journey, and he says this, he says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy... Go over there. They can see, they can see where it is. Uh, go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. One reading of this is that he was lying to the servants so that they wouldn't come and watch. But they could see the place in the distance, so there was no need to lie. And if Abraham wandered back without his son, he'd have to explain it anyway. No, what is happening here is you can see the, the three uses of the word we there, Right? We will, oh, two. we will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham was confident that God had power over death and because of his faith, he was willing to do what God asked him to do. Because God had promised, as I read before, that he would have children and that he would have descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky. And so we get to verse 22 of James And James looks at that story and he says, you see, Abraham's faith and his actions, they work together. His faith was made complete by what he did because it was credited to him as righteousness, which means he was made right with God. In verse 23, it says, Abraham was God's friend. James says something, not James, Jesus. Jesus says something similar. In John chapter 15, he says, um, 
uh, chapter 15, he says, you are my friends if you do as I command. And in verse 17, we get this. He says, my command is love each other. We too, like Abraham, can be friends with God. Our faith made complete by following the command we are given to love God and love each other. And that is quite a lot easier than what Abraham had to do. But it's hard all the same. But as we're getting from this over and over again, it can't be faith alone. J.I. Packer helpfully says this. He says, The truth is that though we are justified by faith alone, the faith that justifies is never alone. I love this quote because it so clearly demonstrates uh, what's got to happen in the heart of a Christian. Our faith justifies us, Jesus saves us, and all we have to do is have a faith that looks like Abraham's. A faith that is accompanied by a commitment to action. A faith that is accompanied by a heart filled with a desire to follow God's commands and a desire to be his friend, because that is what we're offered. After unpacking Abraham's story, he closes by mentioning another character in the Old Testament, Rahab. Verse 25 says this, it says, In the same way uh, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. What a contrast, eh? Abraham, a major Bible figure. Rahab, a minor person who simply let some Jewish spies escape a doomed city. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, and Rahab, a foreigner, a non-Jew. Abraham was a respected elder, and Rahab had a less respected profession. Abraham was a man, Rahab was a woman. These differences kind of have a, we can kind of get something cool out of that, can't we? Because the truth is that this applies to everyone, both ends of the spectrum, not just the big guns of Abraham. It's not just James's job or the heroes of the faith, but it is all of the original listeners that he's talking to. And I said at the start, though, that the, original, that the, the intended audience are brothers and sisters. The intended audience are Christians, not just the original Jewish Christian readers. It's to us, too. It's not just my job as a pastor to show you my faith by my deeds. It's always been my job. I have been a Christian for 20 years. And for those 20 years, it has been my job. Because it is our job as Christians to live by faith and follow the example of the Christians that have come before us. Because as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And that's how he finishes this section. He goes on to the rest of the book 
uh, and he talks about a whole bunch of cool uh, other things that kind of emulate uh, the early Proverbs or, or Jesus' um, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he kind of jumps around, and we're going to go through uh, this series, and it's going to be awesome. I love James. It's really practical, really helpful. And this sets it up really nicely. That the next things we're going to talk about, we do because we need from our faith to live as Christians. But something I haven't touched on and something I'm going to close on, it's, it's a, it's a, I was debating whether to close like this or try and fit it somewhere else, but I think this is the way to go. I can't talk about this passage without talking about the fact that faith without deeds does die. There is a dead faith in this section. And faith doesn't die overnight. Not usually. Usually, it is a slow process. A great fall from a height of a hundred bad decisions. This passage is really fun to talk about. I really love it. It has a really fun intensity and urgency and clarity, but it is intense and urgent and clear for a reason. As I said before, I've been a Christian for 20 years, give or take. I've seen people read these words, but still be like some of these examples. Maybe it's the armchair philanthropist who wants to care, but doesn't ever really try. And then life catches up It gets hard, and maybe the armchair philanthropist gets caught up in their own stuff. It's caught up in their own wealth, or needs, or hurts, or trials, and they don't have time for others, and they certainly don't have time for God. Or maybe it's someone who has known God for a long time, but simply does not shudder at the thought of life without him. Maybe the world feels far more sweet than whatever joy God can bring. And besides, I can always come back. I know God. But I'll come back when I finish living the way I want to live. Eventually. Not yet. Or maybe there's someone who knows all of the stories, but they're not encouragements of faith and action anymore. They're just words on a page. And Abraham doesn't matter. And Rahab doesn't matter. At first, it's just them and whoever else is in the Old Testament, because that's old. But what Jesus said and did, that was cool. But I don't need to live like him, because he was God and I'm saved. And I haven't looked at how the other people lived to, to double check that. Or maybe I just forget. These are just three examples. I can think of more. But I won't, and I don't need to. Because if any of you have been Christians for as long as I have, or maybe less, it's likely that we know people that fit these categories or different. Because it is easy to drift. This passage is more than a theological point with a bit of sass and some playful examples. It is a warning. But in that warning, there is hope, as there is always hope. That opening question, the one that rocked, 
Let me read that again. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? This is about someone who claims to have faith but has no deeds. Can claimed faith save? No. No, it cannot. Can a real, genuine faith save? Of course. And it already has. These gospel truths at the start are more and more important than ever. Because we are prone to drifting. But only if we have half a faith. A limited faith. But a genuine faith, a biblical faith, involves a commitment to action. That action is only possible with God's help. And I'm going to pray to close. And the thing I'm going to pray for is God's help. To give us here, and maybe someone you were thinking about as I was listing those examples, give them a true, give them and us a true and genuine faith. Please bow with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, we know that in our faith we have, commi- we have committed to action. Lord, as we remember that and we think about that, may you help us take that action. May your spirit work on our hearts and may you equip us And spur us on to love and good deeds. Thank you for the beautiful truth of the gospel. And may you help us not drift, not have half or limited faith, but stand firm to not only knowing you, but being friends with you and living that out. Thank you for these words in James and may they uh, be an encouragement for us today and for the rest of our lives. Amen. Please stand with us.